1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Cindy Lewis. She's the chief financial officer of Coho Partners, an investment management firm that delivers an investment strategy where protection and participation meet. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about Coho Partners. What's your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure.
2: So Coho Partners is an independent, employee-owned investment management firm located in the suburbs of Philadelphia with approximately $10 in firm assets. For over 23 years, Coho Partners has helped our clients meet their financial goals. And I'm oftentimes reminded that those financial goals are saving for retirement, helping your kids get to college and for our institutional clients, fulfilling their mission. And as CFO, I get to be a part of that impact by focusing on the operations and finances of co-partners, ensuring that our teams have the resources they need to deliver for our clients, but also keeping an eye towards sustainability and longevity.
1: Perfect. Perfect. So in all of that, what's your favorite part of your job and why?
2: So, I like to call myself a people CFO. I really believe that investing in the relationships helped me obtain a deeper level of communication with people. So, to be able to connect with the person I'm speaking with, understanding their motivations and their emotions around things, because everything has emotions tied into it. And so, for me, my job is to deliver business insights from the financials. But what I enjoy about my job is investing in the relationships to get to understand the opportunities and the challenges as an organization that we face, but doing that through the lens of the relationship building, the understanding, the motivations from the people. So investing in relationships is my most important thing. I enjoy my job.
1: It's a nice change sometimes to hear chief financial officers or people who are in the, the numbers world talk about how much they love the people aspect of the job and the relationship development, because I think that's an area that many struggle with sometimes. And so for people out there who are struggling with that, and whether you're in the finance world or the IT world or any place else, see, it is possible to have both. So take (laughs) heart and Cindy's going (laughs) to give you great, great suggestions and advice about how to do exactly that, how to take your knowledge, take those numbers and be able to connect with people who may not have that kind of facility with the numbers themselves. Right, Cindy? I think that's right. I
2: think as a finance person, we are drawn to numbers. There's an elegance to the
1: numbers, but it's the storytelling. Not when I do the math. I got to tell you, there's no (laughs) elegance when I do numbers, but that's why people like you exist to help the rest of us. Yes, but there's a story (laughs) behind
2: the numbers. And I think that's what elevates analysts to potentially being a good executive within an organization
1: that's where we're going with this entire program. I'm really glad to hear you cut to the chase or give a spoiler alert in many ways. That that is why I have this entire program. When you get to that certain point in the career, it's not enough just to be a technical expert. You need to be able to tell the story of the numbers to explain that genius to people who don't share it necessarily and make them get it. So thank you so much for putting that right out there up front. Great, well, I'm excited. Now, what is something interesting or exciting that's happening with co ho partners or within your industry? And most importantly, how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it?
2: So as I mentioned in my elevator pitch that you know, we're independent and employee-owned, and that was something that is a critical part of our values as an organization. We are fiduciary, so we want to make sure that our clients' needs come first. And so that's why it was, it was very important for us to stay independent. But as the founders i have said, we've been doing this for over 23 years, the founders start thinking about how do we continue to serve our clients far into the future? And so succession planning has been a focus for the board. And so as an organization, we had made the decision just at the end of last year to become a minority ESOP company. And ESOP is, for those that aren't aware of ESOPs, ESOP is an employee stock ownership plan. What that essentially permits as all employees, is being able to participate as owners by having a retirement benefit plan that is growing with the value of the organization. So as we do well as a firm, our employees' retirement plans do well, and that's how they get to participate with the profit and the growth of the organization. So this has been a very deliberate decision by the board. But in terms of how do we start to talk about that, there's a lot of different stakeholders that are interested in how we execute this ESOP. So the two stakeholders I'd focus on is like the board. The board was very focused on the risks that we would be undertaking by opening up an ESOP. How do we do right by existing shareholders as well as the employees? How does this impact our culture? So those are the types of questions that they were asking me. And so that required me to spend a tremendous amount of time building financial models, understanding the mechanics, but that's very easy for a board. And as a result, my communications to the board needs to be more high level. I do all the analysis in the background, present the question. So for example, we had to decide how much to fund the ESOP in the first year. That was the question that I had to answer for the board. I presented the question, presented my thought process, and then presented a proposal. Letting them know, I have all the details in the background, should they want it or desire it. So that's how you keep the board at the right level and engage in conversations and allow them to ask a lot of questions, because that's really how they get a lot of comfort. And what we're doing is by asking questions.
1: Terrific. And yes, with the other group. No, that's perfect. So there's, and I appreciate that you just walked us through various stages of if you're going to address the board at their level, keep them engaged, but provide them as much information as they need, but not more information than they need to have those multiple steps. So if you miss those steps, go back, rewind the last minute and a half or so, and catch how she walks them through from the question, her thought process, the importance of walking someone through your thought processes, not every thought you had over the course of the last six weeks of analysis, but the primary high-level thought, and then the "so what?" the analyses, the outcomes afterwards. I think that's a great strategy to approach. And a lot of people don't really put those pieces together that succinctly. So thank you for sharing that. What about talking to the actual employees themselves? How do you yeah. how do you message the notion of an ESOP? Because I don't think a lot of them probably knew what that was.
2: Yeah, I think the employees, employees are in various stages of understanding and acceptance. And so this was now trying to address a very broad audience. So unlike the board where you have Or five people, you kind of get to their individual concerns. A broad audience is a more difficult communication because you have to provide communications applicable to everybody, but recognizing that some people are going to be very analytical, will want to challenge. Some people are just excited and happy to be a part of the ESOP. And then you have some people who are just highly skeptical, so they're not bought in yet, right? So recognizing that our team members were in different stages of understanding and acceptance of the ESOP and really also understanding their impact towards the company value and as a result, their own retirement accounts. This required me to pull together presentations that, again, of a sufficient level, higher level that's applicable to everyone, but then really supplement that with individual conversations and opportunities for conversations and meeting those individuals with where they're at. So for their investment team folks, for example, they're just analytical by nature. That's what they do for their day jobs. I have to be prepared to talk through with them. What would the various modeling look like? What does the scenarios look like for their own situation and for the company as a whole? And then for those that are just wanting to understand, well, how can I impact the ESOP? Those are individuals that perhaps want to touch more softly about how do they contribute? How do they contribute to the culture? How do they contribute in terms of Cost savings for the company. They're looking to see how could they be helpful, right? So again, high level conversation that's applicable to everyone, but then supplementing that with meeting where that other stakeholder is at, where they need to engage with them.
1: And with regard to those who were skeptical, and it, it, it's interesting to hear that some wanted to know more about how they could impact the ESOP, where others on the other side looking at it or, or questioning things like, why would I want to do that? Is it more risk on my end versus what's in it for me versus it seems complicated and scary? Yeah. And I think that's all
2: human nature, right? It's a representation, I think, in regards to everybody comes it from their own perspective. So everybody has a decision to make when they come into work every day. Do they want to come into this company? And we want them to be excited about coming to our company. And so when we change anything that seems big in nature, they're really wanting to understand it. How is this going to change the company going forward? How is this going to change me going forward? And I think those are all fair conversations to have. It's just very interesting to see the evolution for people in terms of understanding and again, accepting.
1: Absolutely. And in doing all this, it sounds like you've got a really good handle on understanding the importance of shifting your approach to meeting the needs of different audiences where they are. In doing all this, More narrowly, what's a skill, what's a specific communication skill that you're really good at, and what's something that you wish you were better at?
2: So I think I've communicated that what I enjoy about my job is the relationship building. So I'm probably what I would refer to as a long-invested speaker, right, or long-invested communicator. I invest in the relationships so that I can tailor my communication style to the person I'm speaking to. And that means I really need to do a really good job of listening. And that's a skill that I've really tried to lean into. Really understanding where the other person's coming from. What is their motivation? What I like to say, what's the honesty behind the honesty? If they're asking a lot of questions, it could be because they have concerns and they have fears. And so trying to understand those motivations, as a result, I can make sure I'm answering their questions, their concerns, where they're at. So that, that's what I believe is a skill that I've practiced over time. And honing is the listening aspect. In terms of what I could do better, I've been very focused on tonality. I think I've watched one of your podcasts, Laura, about how to speak like a leader. And one of the skills that you call out, one of the traits that people often exhibit, that you called out, is the talk. And that's something that I, now that I'm aware of it, I hear it quite often <laughs> in my speaking. So I'm trying to do better at, managing that. And I have a good group of people around me that I feel safe around. They're willing to call me out on it. They'll tell me
1: when I'm doing the up talk. Well, congratulations, because you've hidden it really well so far. So you think that (laughs) you've gone well along that learning curve. And it's not that for anybody out there who's listening who might think, well, but I heard a phrase or two go up. It's not to say that your voice should never rise. There are thousands and thousands of different reasons and causes and contexts in which we do want our voices to rise at the ends of different phrases. Maybe it's at the, in the middle of a point, and then you're going to make the other half of the point. And it, there's a continuation. There's a, lots of different reasons. So don't, anybody who's out there and concerned about it for themselves or for other people, I don't want you to be hypervigilant and overgeneralize that it should, your voice should always come down. Because if it always does, then you just sound angry. And it sounds really curt And there's anything but being warm and approachable. And we don't want that either. So, It's the variation. Sometimes we should go up, sometimes we should go down and sometimes it'll hold. Lots of different tonality patterns matter. It's just a matter of it shouldn't be as ritualized as something bobbing on the ocean with the same routine, the same amount of time and the same amount of variance. That's when it gets ugly. So that's what we want to avoid. Thank you for that little PSA in there, Cindy. I appreciate that very much. And it sounds like you've really done a great job of, if you have noticed it in the past in yourself, being able to get it under control. So, and you're a great testament to what is possible. And I think you sound great when you're talking. So thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Self-awareness is probably key, right?
1: Just being more aware. Absolutely. And the other thing that you mentioned that's important is having that core support group, those colleagues, and I don't mean support group in the, you know, big picture support group kind of a sense, but the people, friends, family, coworkers, direct reports, supervisors, whoever, where you can ask them for that kind of feedback and just say, look, I'm trying to work on this. If you catch me saying, you know, a thousand times, or you catch me doing upspeak, or you catch me kind of trailing off at the end of my sentences and going to vocal fry or, or doing whatever other habit that you are trying to break, please tell me, please tell, catch me on this, or, you know, make a tally on my page and let me know afterwards you heard it six times, or give me a little, First base coach ear tug or chin scratch or something along some symbol to let me know, well, I'm doing it again and to help me break it. But where you know it's a non judgment exchange. Correct.
2: Yes. I think that's key. That's one of the things we've talked about, my colleagues and I, is the fact that we have to have a sense of humor about this. And so we do call each other out on our foibles and, and we can laugh about it. And we all know it's coming from a very good place that we're just really trying to challenge
1: each other to do better. That's awesome. That's awesome. That collective accountability and sense of co-elevation. How do we work together to help each other get better and become our best, most successful, most authentic, most effective self? Who better would you want around you than those people who are going to help you be your very best? I think it's fabulous that you've created that environment and that culture among your team. So if you've got suggestions for how can other people do that, within their teams or finding the, that kind of accountability, singular partner or little collective? What I recognize is awareness is the first thing.
2: Be aware of what it is I wanted to improve in myself. Once you become aware of it, I've found that all of a sudden, all of these signs start to crop up. You see articles all of a sudden that speaks to the things that you're more aware of. So that, that self-awareness brings things to the
1: surface. That's actually referred to as, or that's triggering what's in the brain. We talked about the reticular activating system where you never saw something before. It was never on your radar. Then somebody mentions it to you and suddenly you notice it everywhere. You can't not notice it where it never existed in your world. Suddenly it it seems like it's everywhere, but it's really just that you didn't notice it before. So great. I love that that's relevant to being aware of your own speaking style. Please continue.
2: Yeah. So what I went through specifically is that I started seeing... Articles, TED Talks that started to come up. I have no, no idea if it's algorithms that's in Facebook that's picking out things that I'm searching for. And it came up through my conversation initially with my line manager. So when we did the end of the year conversation about what did I do really well at? Where could I improve? That's where this came up. I was really conscious that I wanted to improve my impact in my communications. And we started having this conversation. And my line manager said, Actually, Cindy, I happen to notice that you oftentimes do up talk. And as a result of that, he was very sensitive about it. He's like, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to hurt your feelings. And I was like, I was in a receiving mode. I wanted to receive this feedback because I wanted to get better at it. And so I really encourage my line manager to call me out on it. I know, please be honest with me when you catch it because I'm not always aware of it when
1: I'm doing the actual communication. And just to be clear, your line manager for people who aren't familiar with those terms, you report to him or he reports to you. So I report to the president.
2: He's the one that
1: I'm engaging in this conversation with. Okay, got it. Yep. Now,
2: my peers on the executive committee, we were having a conversation amongst ourselves about our year-end performance conversation with the president. Each of us have our year-end performance conversation. And we started being honest and vulnerable in the conversation about what did we want to work on in the next year? And it isn't that dialogue of, I'm sharing what I'm going to be working on my colleagues going to share what they're going to be working on. We then all kind of made this pact to say, okay, well, we're really going to focus on this. And I really could use your help in doing it. So, so what my advice would be, A, be self-aware of what you want to improve on, B, use the articles, the TED talks, whatever it is that came up as a opening to the conversation. I was reading an article about Uptalk and it's something now I'm really conscious of. Would you help me focus on that and do better. So then see, ask for the help. I think that's how I
1: would ask, to suggest people do it. That's awesome. I'm so excited that we went down this rabbit hole, because I think there are a lot of people out there who are going, how do I do this? How do I talk about this? And side note to everybody else out there, if you hadn't picked up on it before, notice that in thinking about the year-end review conversations and Goal setting for the next year—that it's not just about technical skill development. Under that whole world of leadership, I'm sure that was classified probably under leadership development. There are other kinds of skills that communication skills are an inherent part of those leadership skills, and that these are three senior leaders, uh, four, however many people were on that team. You're all chiefs or EVPs or something along those lines, and discussing how do we become better communicators, and all coming together and a team to help each other improve there. So it's not just about the technical skills of finance or of analysis or whatever else it is. Am, am I accurate in this, Cindy?
2: Yes, I think so. And, I, and one of the things that I would say to reaffirm how you continue to support each other is, and I mentioned it before, is having a sense of humor about it. If you take yourself too seriously, if I take myself too seriously and I get this feedback for the 15th time that I did talk. I could really start to do some damage psychologically with myself, right? Like, I just can't get better at this. And that's how I would start to mentally feel. Whereas I think if you have a sense of humor about it with your colleagues and your colleagues can have a sense of humor about it with you, then they're more willing to engage. If they feel like they're hurting your feelings, they're they're not going to want to be honest with you.
1: Yes, 100% agree. Is there a way? Is there a cue? So I think in part, knowing how to give someone feedback, along those lines, especially when they have requested such feedback, is also to ask the person, how would you like to receive it? Not just, do you want the feedback? How do you want the feedback? Is there a, a nickname that I can use? And so something like, okay, Gracie, you're, I don't know why Gracie just popped into my head or, or, <laughs> you know, something else it, that that's going to be the name that means, oh, you're using a little more of this. Or do you want someone just to use a physical gesture? To indicate this that you're using a particular pattern, or is there should they send you an email afterward just saying, "Hey, I noticed this." Would you prefer it to be done asynchronously versus in the moment, or just should they take you aside after the meeting conversation, whatever is done, and say, "By the way, I did notice when you were talking about X, Y, and Z that that's when you slid into this habit, you know, using the wrong kind of terminology, getting lost in the weeds, using up talk, using whatever it was." that you've asked them to give you feedback on, tell them how you want to receive the input. I'm going back to my favorite Jerry Maguire phrase over and over again, help me help you. (laughs) Because it allows people to then feel safe to give you the feedback that you've asked for without worrying about hurting your feelings, because you've told them how to do it in a way that you'll be most open and most receptive to it. Was there any particular way, Cindy, where you would ask your people to give your feedback or a way that you realize that you are most comfortable receiving it? You know, so as
2: a group, we acknowledge that there are certain terms or phrases that we'll use that, that signals. So, for example, one of my colleagues will often say, Cindy, that was a great presentation. You know what we usually call each other out on? Like, that's what he usually says. You know what we call each other out on? And he doesn't even need to say anything more beyond that, because it's a turn of phrase that we now know what it represents and what it stands for. And there's a recognition here that this is a journey of improvement. So this isn't going to be by the 10th time, I should magically have stopped doing the uptalk. This is about recognizing it over time, continuing to make changes over time. And that's why I appreciate the fact that we're not having a 15 minute diatribe about how I did up talk in this last conversation. It's just one turn of phrase that I can recognize it and then we can move on. Right. It's not, we're not making a big deal about it.
1: Perfect. It's like that third base coach or first base coach, just some sort of signal. As you said, the, the signal the pulling of the ear, maybe that's the signal that we're going to go with, but it's like that. Well, and your version of that is just a verbal version of the ear tug saying, hey, Cindy, remember what we talked about? Yeah all right, here's the bell, you know, here's the ding, whatever's your word, your phrase, you know what it symbolizes, having that code word, that safe word, we'll even call it to be able to say, you know, just letting you know, I think that's great. It's such a great tool. It's such a great tactic to use. It's so easy. And it's so unassuming to be able to do that. So everybody out there, I really, really, really hope that you're, I'm going to allow this to stand in the dead of our normal 24 hour influence challenge. And <laughs> I'm taking over this one. I'm going to totally yeah. <laughs> hijack the 24 hour influence challenge because we've talked about this. So I'm going to encourage everybody out there to find an accountability partner and do what Cindy has just suggested, which is figure out what is something that you want to get better at. It doesn't have to be the examples that we've talked about Upspeak or vocal fry or anything like that, whatever it is you want to improve on and come up with your signal with your partner who you want to hold you accountable for this stuff, what's going to be your word or your ear tug, physical gesture, or is it going to be a text message with a certain emoji that you're going to get later on? What's going to be your safe signal where they're going to give you the feedback that you've requested? So talk to somebody in the next 24 hours, come up with your signal to implement. Is that okay, Cindy, that I just totally stole your 24-hour influence challenge?
2: No, I, I think that's great. I love that. I love the idea that we are all on a journey and trying to just get a little bit better every day, just trying to get a little
1: bit better. Yes. And, and that's what it's about. Every day, just move the needle, move the needle. You know, we talk all the time about the, for me, it's all about mastering the three C's, the ability to command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal. And closing the deal is not about signing on the dotted line and transfer of funds necessarily. We like those too, but it's really more about just moving the needle, getting to yes, one step further, making progress together. So thank you so much for all of this great advice. It's so practical. And I love that it's so executable and easy to understand all at the same time. So that's been terrific. Great. Well, now tell me a little bit, we've talked a lot about shifting styles to be able to dress. you even mentioned earlier a phrase about tailoring your messaging to meet the needs of different audiences? Was it hard to learn how to do that? And was it ever not just technically difficult, but did you ever wrestle with how to do that and still be authentic? Because I think a lot of people find that balance, or at least that I won't call it a balance that intersection to be challenging.
2: Yeah, I think it would be disingenuous if I told you that this has been an easy path to get to, you know, my own communication style. I'd, I'd like to take you back to perhaps A little bit earlier on in my professional career, I was in middle management and I just got promoted to CFO and I was excited. This is what I've worked my whole entire career for is to achieve CFO status. But I was also scared out of my mind, (laughs) quite frankly. I felt like I was being asked finally to join a very exclusive club, right? And for those that are in the financial services industry, you know, it's historically been very predominantly white male and the organization I was a part of wasn't any different.
1: Because I was so nervous, I did seek out advice. Sorry to interrupt, but just for those of you who are listening on audio platforms, it's not just about male-female, but looking at the white male majority, you know, you also are of what cultural background, Cindy? So I'm Vietnamese. So I'm a, I'm a woman of color. I'm Vietnamese. Got it. Just because people can't necessarily hear that on on audio podcasts. That's so right. I, you know, these are all I important. see you. I forget that we're on a podcast. Exactly. So check us all out on YouTube as well. You can get the whole interview, body language, and all so But I think that's an important detail because inevitably our culture plays a part of our psyche and changes how, some consciously and unconsciously, how we relate to each other. So since you mentioned that, I just wanted that piece to be clear to everybody else as well. Please continue. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you giving that color and context there for those that
2: are listening, not watching. So I'm seeking advice because I wanted to make sure that I could be heard. And so the advice I had received at the time was, if I wanted to be heard, I needed to be more like them. And as a person that's a very focused, single-minded, overachiever, I tended to take the advice very literally.
1: I'm curious who the person who said you need to be taken seriously, you need to be more like them. Was that a man or a woman? It was a man. It was a man. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So be curious what he meant by that. But anyway, so you interpreted it a certain way.
2: I interpreted it a certain way. And do you know what he meant by? Did you ever get him to clarify later on what he meant by that? I did not. I did not go back and have the conversation. One piece of advice I will say to the audience that I've come to learn for myself is that you can get a lot of different advice from a lot of different people. Uh, I have received a lot of advice from a lot of different people. Some advice will resonate more than others. And it's really up to me to decide what am I going to embody and what will I let go? Yes. And so I, I have to appreciate that that's
1: for me to decide and interpret. Right. So sure. But at the time you interpreted that piece of advice to mean what?
2: I interpreted that to mean, and so the the added context is this, then the previous CFO became the CEO and the previous CFO was a very different personality to me, right? So he was a confident, strong personality, very analytical. And I would say very, I don't mean this derogatory, but like unemotional, right? He was Mm -hmm. just very... Very analytical, very smart individual. Very matter of fact. Exactly, and I'm a very expressive person, an emotional person, and probably softer spoken too. So when I hear advice like "you need to be more like them," in many ways, I've interpreted that to be "I needed to be more like him." Mm. And I, in the back of my mind, kept saying to myself, "But I'm nothing like him, right? Mm. Our life experiences are very, very different." Culturally, we're coming from different places. And that started to play games in my head. And you and I've had a previous conversation, Laura, about how mindset becomes everything. For me, I started to equate, I needed to be as good as him to mean I needed to be him hmm. versus trying to be myself. I needed to be Cindy Lewis CFO, not that person CFO. And I couldn't right. make that distinction at that time. So what did you do? So I think I mentioned it before. Self-awareness is so critically important. I think I was in the space where I felt like I was the duck that was swimming on the water, looking all graceful at the top, but whose feet was like paddling frantically underneath. I was struggling because at the time the organization was undergoing a tremendous amount of challenges and I was being faced with challenges. So I had to focus on restructuring. I had to focus on divestiture. So talking about technically challenging things that I've never had to do before. But I wanted everyone to think that I knew exactly what I was doing. I wanted everyone to think that I had all the answers. And so because I didn't have all the answers, and because I was struggling with how do I solve these firm problems, I started to hold back. I wouldn't challenge ideas in the room if I disagreed with them. But I wasn't willing to share my own ideas because I was too scared to do so. I felt when I presented information, I wasn't being confident. I had so much trepidation and it was coming through and how he was communicating with everyone.
1: Of course it was. It can't not. Yeah. mindset becomes everything.
2: So what did I do about it? I think sometimes you have to get to a real extreme place of, I was so unhappy. I was so unhappy of who I was being
1: or trying to be or pretending to be.
2: I was recognizing I was trying to be an executive, but I was failing to be a leader. Wow.
1: So can you say that again and explain just real succinctly say that one more time for us, because that's a mic drop moment. And I want everybody to really focus and let that sink in. And then you can go ahead and explain it as well. Say that again. So I
2: recognized that I was trying to be an executive, but I was failing to be a
1: leader. And what exactly does that mean? Because that's powerful. So for me,
2: I was going through the motions of being a CFO. I was doing the analysis. I was doing the presentations. I I was being in the room as the CFO, but I wasn't commanding the leadership moment, right? I think a leader has to be willing to challenge ideas that are in the room if they disagree with them. A leader should be willing to share their ideas, even if it's not going to be the most popular one and I've mentioned this before, a leader should be willing to be vulnerable. So if I don't have all the answers, admit I don't have all the answers, get that out and then say, but this is how we're going to try to solve that. How are we going to get to an answer? It's in that ability to accept where I needed to be. I need to be vulnerable. I think that is where I started to recognize that is the leader I wanted to be. And because I wasn't that person in the role that I was in at the moment, I knew I needed to make some fundamental changes. Now, one thing I would say to you, Laura, is, and I want to make this clear, being vulnerable, being open, two things, doesn't always mean that the person on the other side is going to accept it. It's not going to mean it's going to be sunshines and rainbows if I follow through with it. I might be unpopular. This might not be accepted. This might go against contrary to the culture or the politics of the organization. But I think what became critically important for me is that's now a data point for me to make a decision going forward about whether or not I can continue to be a leader in this organization because I can be a leader, it just might not be with this organization.
1: A cultural fit is huge and having the courage to say, is this a good fit or not? Or can I influence the organization as the leader here to help it become the kind of organization that I and ideally others are happier being a part of? That's a greater challenge still, but that's what leadership is about, right? Culture change starts from the top down. So that's such an important point. Thank you for sharing that. Now, we are just about at the end of our time. I can't believe how fast this has gone. And I am so excited with all the takeaways that you have shared, so many executable pieces. How can we learn more about you, Cindy, or about Coho Partners? If you'd like to learn more about Coho
2: Partners, please, anyone can reach out to us on our website. Our website is cohopartners.com. If you connect with us there, we would be happy to connect with you and talk about how we can work together. If you'd like to connect with me personally, I can be found on LinkedIn. I'm also a board member of the Wilma Theater, so I hope to see people at the theater. I'm also heavily involved with an organization called the National Association of Asian American Professionals. And I really want to encourage people to connect with professional associations, especially women and minorities, to consider connecting with those organizations so that you can connect with peers who may have shared experiences as you. So I hope to see people either at the theater or at NAP events or hopefully uh, working together here at Coho Partners.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Cindy. It's been a really great pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for everyone else who's listening today. And thank you. Also, to everybody else out there listening today, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever platform you happen to be listening, or even on YouTube where you're watching today. And of course, finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-Suite.